I am not ready to die because... How would you finish that sentence? I'm not ready to die because... Take a minute. Go ahead. Finish the sentence in your mind. What does your gut say? Go ahead and be honest with yourself in this moment. Let your thoughts go there. I'm not ready to die because... I'm not ready to die because I want to walk my daughter down the aisle. I'm not ready to die because I want to visit the Grand Canyon. I'm not ready to die because I don't know where I'm at with the Lord. I'm not ready to die because I have not accomplished certain goals in my career. I'm not ready to die because I've not had children. I'm, I'm not ready to die because I'm not married. I'm not ready to die because I want to meet my grandkids. I'm not ready to die because I want to finish high school or college or my graduate degree. I'm not ready to die because I'm afraid. I'm not ready to die because there are more pleasures that I want to pursue. I'm not ready to die because, how'd you finish that sentence? In, in Psalm 71, King David tells God that he's not ready to die. What is more, this psalm reveals that he is old and gray. He has lived a long life. So what more did he have to live for? He, he went out on top. So how did he finish that sentence? Here's how. Psalm 71, verse 18. So even to old age and gray hairs, O God, do not forsake me until I proclaim your might to another generation, your power to all those to come. So here's how great old and aged King David finished that sentence. I'm not ready to die because I want to proclaim your might to another generation. I'm not ready to die because I'm not done proclaiming your praise. Did you finish your sentence that way? Do you want God to lengthen your life because you want to make his glory known to the coming generation? Is, is that a sincere desire of your heart? Right now, is that, is that the decisive direction of your life? If, if that's not how you finished your sentence, then you should know there's the freedom to change your mind. Um, maybe there's something we can yet learn from David. Let's turn to Psalm 71. If you're using one of the Bibles provided, you can find the passage on page 484. Let me encourage you to go ahead and turn there. When you arrive at Psalm 71, you'll see that it's the second to last book in, 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 uh, in book two of the Psalms. The, the Psalms are the poems, the songs, the prayers of the ancient people of God. They were composed, uh, collected, and arranged into five different books. Many scholars understand that the Psalms, in the Psalms, we, we find in these five books that they were carefully compiled to craft actually a single message, a single message about God's work in the world. They weren't just composed and compiled to create a message, 
but they were also composed and compiled to call God's people to pray about and praise God for His work in the world. You'll notice that in Psalm 71, it has no ascription. Uh, many psalms, they have really a, a little note in the ESV translation. It's in all caps, typically at the right, at the, uh, right at the top of the psalm. It has a note uh, as they begin, but not this one. We're not told who it is by or who it is for. We're just given the psalm. And immediately, the question should be popping into your mind. Wait a minute. You said just a minute ago that David wrote this psalm. And I did. Uh, 19 of the last 20 psalms were written by David. And the next psalm, Psalm 72, ends like this, verse 20 of that psalm, the prayers of David, son of Jesse, are ended. So it's not too much of a stretch then to view this psalm as one of David's. The psalm opens, as you can see there in verse 1, with a proclamation and a plea. In you, O Lord, do I take refuge. That's a proclamation. Now here's the plea. Let me never be put to shame. The author trusts in Yahweh, and he's in need of help. That is the heart of this psalm. An old saint crying out for salvation. He's crying out for salvation because, as we'll see from verse 14, he wants to sing God's praises. He wants to make God's glory known. He wants his soul saved, his life lengthened, because he wants to bring God glory. And as we study this psalm, I pray that each one of us, whether we are young or old, will learn from David. May we learn to ever put our trust in God. May we, ever lear may we learn that our lives are for His praise. And in the words of the great hymn writer James Montgomery, may we learn that we can call on Him in trouble, and that He will hearken, He will save. May we learn that here for grief, He will reward us double and crown His people with life beyond the grave. This psalm, it's not easily outlined. Uh, some scholars see three or four strophes in this poem. Others see six and still others. Yet more. We'll go with the smallest number uh, in the hopes of having a sharper focus on the psalm. But here's the trajectory of this psalm. David has a problem. He's not ready to die. So he appeals to God for help so that he might proclaim his praise and power to the coming generation. So here's the first point, first lesson of Psalm 71. If you're taking notes, this is the first one. Take refuge in God. That's what we learn from Psalm 71. Take refuge in God. Read Psalm 71 verses 1 to 4 now. You'll see this there. Verse 1. In you, O Lord Yahweh, do I take refuge. Let me never be put to shame. In your righteousness, deliver me and rescue me. Incline your ear to me and save me. Be to me a rock of refuge to which I may continually come. You have given the command to save me, for you are my rock and my fortress. Rescue me, O oh my God, from the hand of the wicked, from the grasp of the unjust and cruel man. In these verses, we see with undeniable clarity that David put his hope in God. He has made God his refuge. And having fled to God for refuge... He forcefully makes this plea. Do you see that there in verse 1? I take refuge in you. Do not let me be put to shame. Once we say to God, I, I, I trust you, my life is in your hands, it doesn't end there. Having entered into relationship with the covenant Lord, we then relate to him. We tell him our needs. And the need of David is to be spared of shame. His trust in God needs to be vindicated. It needs to be shown that God is trustworthy, so He needs to be delivered. 
rescued and saved. Verses 2 and 3. A, a wicked and unjust man seeks to do him harm. You see that in verse 4. Now, we, we may not have a particular single individual uh, human bearing down upon us as David did. But as the people of God, we do have enemies. The world assails us with mockery. Our, our own flesh seeks to pull us away from God, our refuge. And the devil uses all he can to see us discouraged and disheartened, divided and defeated. We need to be rescued from these enemies. And so we need to learn from David. We need to take refuge in God. He can deliver his people. He has done it before. Just think of the Exodus. And he can do it again. He can rescue his people. Notice though, this plea, it proceeds on principles of righteousness. Verse 2, in your righteousness... Deliver me and rescue me. This is the first of five times in the psalm that God's righteousness is brought up. David is not pleading on his own righteousness, but he's making a plea for God's righteousness. And the idea here is that David wants God to enact his justice, enact his righteousness, to right the wrong. David is being wrongly assailed and oppressed. God's righteousness will be made plain and public to all when he is rescued from the hand, the grasp, of the wicked, unjust, and cruel man. And we too must trust God to right all wrongs. He may do it in our lifetime, in our day, but He may do it after our lifetime. He will certainly do it on the last day. Either way, we trust Him. He is the just one. He is the righteous one. The right one. And He will right all wrong. So we trust Him and we cry out, for his justice. God is just. And God hears his people. You see there that David says. Incline your ear to me. Because our God hears the cries of his people. Jesus taught us. Because of our relationship with God. As our father. That we have his ear. So we can make our plea too. Yes we need to learn to take refuge in God. And we need to learn to do this. Not just once. But over and over and over again. Look at the beginning of verse 3. Be to me a rock of refuge to which I may continually come. You see, we entrust our lives to God and we keep entrusting our lives to God. We keep coming to Him continually, day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year. We do this in prayer. We do this through reading His Word. We do this through gathering with God's people. Take refuge in God and keep taking refuge in God. In fact, it is the experience of David that he has been trusting in Yahweh from a very early age. Read Psalm 71 verses 5 to 8 now. Look at verses 5 to 8. For you, O Lord, are my hope, my trust. O Lord Yahweh, from my youth. Upon you I have leaned from before my birth. You are he who took me from my mother's womb. My praise is continually of you. I have been as a portent to many, but you are my strong refuge. My mouth is filled with your praise and with your glory all the day. As in verses 1 to 4, the overwhelming idea here is that uh, God is David's refuge, his, his hope, his trust. He has been faithful to Yahweh from his youth, verse 5. He even says that he was leaning upon God from before his birth. Verse 6. Don't you just love the, the word picture of leaning on God? It's a great picture of faith and trust. David is putting his whole weight upon that rock that cannot be moved. What is more, 
Uh, Yahweh took him from his mother, mother's womb for this very purpose. God called him to faith. He, he called David to praise him so that, verse 7, he would be as important to many. It means David was a, a, a sign. He was a, a model, a wonder, a, a mystery even. He was a living lesson to those around him. He was a living lesson to the righteous in that he, he has shown them the path of faith and faithfulness to God, even in difficulty and distress. Is that you? Are, are you a living lesson to others around you? Uh, Hugh McHale, he was a Scottish covenanter. He died for his faith in Jesus. He was led to the gallows. And, and these were his last words to a crowd mixed with believers and unbelievers. Hugh McHale said this, Now I leave off to speak any more to creatures and turn my speech to thee, O Lord. Now I begin my intercourse with God, which shall never be broken off. Farewell, father and mother, friends and relations. Farewell, the world and all delights. Farewell, meat and drink. Farewell, sun, moon and stars. Welcome, God and Father. Welcome, sweet Lord Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant. Welcome, blessed spirit of grace, God of all consolation. Welcome, glory. Welcome, eternal life. Welcome, death. Hugh McHale was a portent. He was a sign, a wonder to many. He was marveled at for his faith unto the end. And others took up his words and proclaimed them as they faced the gallows. I shared that quote with a friend a few weeks back, and his immediate reply was, Oh, to love the Lord to death. David, love the Lord from birth. Will you, dear Christian, love the Lord from new birth to death? Will you be a living lesson of love for the Lord Jesus? The only way you can be a living lesson of love is if you make God your refuge. Verse 7, and fill your mouth with his praise and glory all the day. Verse 8, God, he brought you into this world in the precarious and fragile manner of birth. Do you ever think of how many things could go wrong in the birth of a child? You realize God protected you. And brought you forth. He protected you. He led you and fed you thus far. Do you not think he can lead you all the way home? He can. And he will. So make him your refuge. Psalm 71 teaches us to take refuge in God. He delivers and rescues his people. He hears his people. He is continually available to us as a refuge. He never closes his doors. He never closes his heart to us. He has ordered the salvation of His people. And all of His purposes come to pass. He has rescued us from evil before. And He can rescue us from evil again. He is a sure and steady anchor all our days. He is a rock we may rest all of our weight upon. All of our worries upon. In severe trial, He is our strong tower. So take refuge in God. And take your fears to God. That's the next lesson we learn from Psalm 71. Take your fears to God. And let's read Psalm 71 verses 9 to 18. And, and as we read, notice the fear that emerges actually as, as bookends here in this section. Verses 9 to 18, there's a fear that emerges for David. Verse 9, 
Do not cast me off in the time of old age. Forsake me not when my strength is spent. For my enemies speak concerning me. Those who watch for my life consult together and say, God has forsaken him. Pursue and seize him. For there is none to deliver him. O God, be not far from me. O my God, make haste to help me. May my accusers be put to shame and consumed with scorn and disgrace. May they be covered who seek my hurt. But I will continually, I will hope continually and will praise you yet more and more. My mouth will tell of your righteous acts, of your deeds of salvation all the day. For their number is past my knowledge. With the mighty deeds of the Lord God, I will come. I will remind them of your righteousness, yours alone. O oh God, from my youth you have taught me, and I still proclaim your wondrous deeds. So, even to old age and gray hairs, O oh God, do not forsake me until I proclaim your might to another generation, your power to all those to come. David's chief fear might be summarized in the phrase, forsake me not. You see it there in verse uh, verse. Uh, 8 and 9, do not cast me off, forsake me not. Or, or there in verse 10, do not vers- verse 18, forgive me, uh, verse 18, do not forsake me. And notice what comes in connection with this fear of being forsaken. It's old age, it's weakness, it's spent strength. The young often fail to appreciate the fears and the frailty of the old. Loneliness is a difficulty of the elderly. On more than one pastoral visit, an older saint has said to me, it's just me and these four walls. So I just talk to the Lord all day. Loneliness is a burden for our elderly brothers and sisters in Christ. Now imagine that burden, the fear of being adding to that, the fear of being forsaken by God. That burden is unbearable. That's why David takes his fear to God. That's why he makes that plea. Do not cast me off. In the time of old age. And added to this fear of being forsaken is the fear of his enemies. Right? He knows they're after him. They're plotting and planning to pursue him and put him to death. And for whatever reason, they believe he is not only vulnerable, but that God actually has forsaken him. Maybe David is suffering some calamity. Or maybe he's just suffering the difficulties of old age. David may even have in mind the attempts of Adonijah at the end of his life. Whatever the case may be, it's difficult enough to feel forsaken by God, but to have your enemies kind of rejoicing in your misfortune only increases the, the sharpness of the pain. And so David, David, he pleads that it would not be true, that God would not be far, but that he would be near. You know, this feeling of being forsaken, the Puritans, they had a category for something uh, like this, this feeling of being forsaken in the Christian life. They called it desertion. Um, They spoke of it as though it were a short hell and that it was a painful experience for believers. This is what uh, Samuel Rutherford wrote about this feeling of desertion and actually how God can work good in it. Rutherford writes, I know that as night and shadows are good for flowers and moonlight and dews are better than continual sun, so in Christ's absence... Of special, is of special use, and that it hath some nourishing virtue in it, and giveth sap to humility, 
and putteth an edge on hunger and furnisheth a fair field to faith to put itself forth and to exercise its finger in gripping to see not what it sees. In other words, this, in this feeling of desertion, this feeling of being forsaken, it, it can actually be useful in God's hands. God can use it to bring us low when we've been too proud. Uh, he can use it to make us hunger and thirst for His righteousness, which is what David seems to be after in our psalm. God can use the feeling of forsakenness to prod us on to greater faith. God can use the feeling of forsakenness to strengthen our grip on Christ. God can use this darkness to lead us to grope about and find Jesus. Rutherford and the Puritans knew that God never finally forsakes His people. And yet, they also knew that believers often underwent such a feeling of desertion. We we go through that, don't we? We go through this feeling of distance from our God. We often cannot see what special use God has in that feeling. This feeling of being deserted. But one of its primary purposes must surely be to press us into deeper dependence upon the Lord Jesus Christ. Maybe you're feeling this way now. Maybe you're feeling distant from the Lord. Maybe you're feeling forsaken by Him. Beloved, believe what poor, depressed, and despairing William Cowper once wrote. He wrote, You fearful saints, fresh courage take. The clouds you so much dread are big with mercy and shall break in blessings on your head. Judge not the Lord by feeble sense, but trust Him for His grace. Behind a frowning providence, He hides a smiling face. The trials that we face may very well be God's mercies in disguise. Christian, do you ever pray something like we, what we see here in Psalm 71? Do you ever pray, oh God, be not far from me? Oh my God, make haste to help me. Do you ever pray, be Emmanuel, be God with me? When you are alone, take your fears to God, take your loneliness to God, and ask Him to make His presence known to you. And let us remember our Lord Jesus. He had enemies too. They too sought His life. More than feeling forsaken, Jesus was forsaken by God. He cried from the cross, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? We must always remember that He, that Jesus, was forsaken to prevent us from being finally and forever forsaken. In verse 13, David takes the plea with which he opened the psalm, let me never be put to shame, in verse 1 there, and he actually inverts it. David asks God to put his enemies to shame. So instead of me being put to shame, God put my enemies to shame. And here again, this is nothing other than a reiteration of David asking God to make his righteousness and justice known in his deliverance. David's accuser is an unjust, wicked, slanderous, and cruel man who seeks his hurt and harm. And it's perfectly accord with principles of justice for David to ask God to execute his justice in the here and now. Take your fears to God and purpose to believe. Faith, it actually often sounds defiant. And that's something of the tone there in verse 14. Though flesh is frail, 
Though accusers assail, the psalmist defiantly declares there in verse 14, but, but I will hope continually and will praise you yet more and more. Though, though the difficulty mounts, David purposes to praise God not less, but more. You say to yourself, but I don't have that kind of faith. Then pray for it. Ask God for it. You do not have because you do not ask. Pray and ask for the faith and hope to press through the darkness. Pray for God to give you more faith, not less. That your mouth would be filled with more praise, not less. Purpose to praise God and actually do it. That's what David does. He purposes to tell of God's deeds of salvation. And perhaps David is here thinking of the time that God saved him from the paw of the lion, the paw of the bear, the hand of the Philistine, the hand of Saul, the hand of Absalom. Perhaps all of these are flooding into his mind. David is overwhelmed with the realization that God's deeds are numerous. In verse 17, he's looking back on his long life. He's remembering how God has taught him all the way through. He will proclaim God's great deeds from his youth up. And he believes that should God deliver him from this desperate situation, this will be another thing for him to give praise to God for. And so he makes the famous plea there in verse 18. So even to old age and gray hairs, O God, do not forsake me until I proclaim your might to another generation, your power to all those to come. This is David's, I'm not ready to die because I want to proclaim your might to another generation. And this is just the beginning of the third lesson of this psalm. Here's the third lesson. Take God to others. Take God to others. We take refuge in God. We take our fears to God. And we also take God to others. That's the third lesson of Psalm 71. And I want us to do this through a moment of meditation there on verse 18. Read, read it again. This verse should... This is the verse, I think, that should jump out at us in this psalm. Psalm 71, verse 18. So even to old age and gray hairs, O God, do not forsake me until I proclaim your might to another generation, your power to all those to come. Ponder this for a moment. There is a real importance to passing on God's praise from one generation to the next. It is important to take God to others. How will they know the greatness of God if they are not told? If He's not taken to them? Dear older saints, recognize that your long life, and with it your long memory, is a gift of grace. The Lord has given you a long life for a reason. And one of the reasons is to recount His many and mighty works you need to teach the young people of this congregation that God can be trusted year after year in all seasons and scenes of life. You have the years and the experience to prove it. You cannot be on the sidelines of the ministry of this church. You need to be in the middle of it telling your brothers and sisters you need to keep going. You need to be in the middle of it Telling us that God has been faithful. He will be again. Believe me, I know it from experience. There was a time when I was facing what you are facing. And God was faithful to me. He will be faithful to you. 
Your gray hairs are God's good sign that you have a gracious testimony to give about our God. So be not silent. Speak, and we will endeavor to listen. We need your testimony. And God has left you on this earth to give testimony to his goodness and grace. There is a reason you are still here. And one of the reasons is for you to proclaim God's might to another generation. To this one. Youth and young people, recognize the glory and the wisdom of trusting God from your youth, according to Psalm 71. You will never regret trusting God from this day forth. You will never regret trusting God too early. Recognize the glory of trusting God from your youth. You may only have your youth, for God has not promised you tomorrow. If, however, God gives you hundreds or thousands of tomorrows, you will then have hundreds and thousands of days where you will have seen God's faithfulness, God's mighty deeds. You will have seen hundreds or thousands of days where God led you and fed you. You will have seen multiple occasions where God delivered you from one difficulty or another. Trusting God from your youth will allow you to see in your old age that you have good reason to keep trusting Him. Parents, let me encourage you to make discipleship a priority in your home. Don't let extracurriculars and activities crowd the schedule so much that you neglect the adoration of God in your home. Don't let activity crowd out adoration. Don't schedule God out of your life on the Lord's Day or any other day. By saying no to some activities, you choose between what may be good and what is best, the adoration of our God. Make time to proclaim our God to the coming generation. Now, some of you here are not yet gray, or you are not parents, but the truth is, is that you're older than others. What person younger than you do you need to come alongside and reassure as they walk through difficulty? Is there someone you need to walk side by side with for a season? Then it's time to pull up next to them. And tell them of God's mighty power to sustain. If you're a member of this congregation, then you have an opportunity to pro proclaim God's might to another generation. You should saddle up next to some Sunday school teacher and ask them when you can jump in and tell the coming generation about the might and majesty and mercy of God. The reality is, is that we should all be chomping at the bit for the privilege of proclaiming God's might to another generation. And this is why David is not ready to die. And while we live, this is what we should be spending a significant amount of our time doing. But how? What should we say? How do we take God to others? We'll take a look at verses 19 to 24, and you'll see that one of the ways we do it is by telling of God's righteousness. Verse 19. Your righteousness, O God, reaches to the heavens, high heavens. You who have done great things, O God, who is like you? You have made me see many troubles and calamities will revive me again. From the depths of the earth, you will bring me up again. You will increase my greatness and comfort me again. 
I will also praise you with a harp for your faithfulness, O my God. I will sing praises to you with the lyre, O Holy One of Israel. My lips will shout for joy when I sing praises to you, my soul also, which you have redeemed. My tongue will talk of your righteousness, of your righteous help all the day long, for they have been put to shame and disappointed who sought to do me hurt. How do we take God to others? Well, we tell of God's past righteous deeds. We tell of the great things that God has done. Verse 19. For David, among other things, it would be retelling the stories of the Exodus and the crossing of the Red Sea. It would be retelling the stories of God's preservation of him in the wilderness when Saul sought him. For us, it is the retelling of the story of the cross and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 19. It looks to the past with praise. While verse 20, you see there, it looks to the future with hope. Do you see that in the language of verse 20? Read it. You who have made me see many troubles and calamities will revive me again. From the depths of the earth, you will bring me up again. David looks over his past. He remembers that God has rescued him from many troubles before. And God's faithfulness in the past gives him hope for God's faithfulness in the present and the future. David is confident that God, that God will he will experience another resurrection-like experience. He's confident that God will rescue him from this trial too. And he's telling us that. His confidence in God keeps rolling along in the remaining verses, in verses 21 to 24. It begins with a, a you will there in verse 21. You see it? David says, you will. But then David piles up the I wills in verses 22 to 24. God will comfort David again and David will praise God. His lips will shout. His tongue will talk of all that God has done. Because of what God will do, David will declare. Singing, you see here, it follows salvation. Here's how one commentator put it. He, David, was at death's door in more senses than one. The depths of the earth, verse 20, meant either old age, illness, or his enemies were trying to finish him off. But when God acts again, as he has always done, he will be restored to his former position of power even more securely. Verse 21. In anticipating this, he gives praise to God, the voice and instruments. His song is of faithfulness of God and his righteous redemption because of which his enemies are as good as finished. You see that in verse 24. David, he pleads with God. He says, I'm not ready to die because... I want to proclaim God's might to another generation. I'm not ready to die because I'm not proclaiming your, I'm not done proclaiming your praise. What is the prospect of death teaching you? What is the prospect of death teaching you? What is it teaching you about the purpose of your life? Uh, unless the Lord Jesus Christ returns, then you will die. The, uh, the Friday morning men's breakfast group is reading through a book entitled Living Life Backwards. And the whole point of the book is that the end of our lives, death, should inform our lives now in the present. So this past Friday we read these words. Death is a preacher. A coffin preaches better sermons than a cot. Look forward to the day of your death and ask yourself, what kind of person should I be? For one day I will be dead. The wise person sits in the funeral home and stares at the coffin and realizes 
that one day it will be his turn. How often do we go to the funeral home and think about that person who has lived, but fail to examine our own lives and consider our own end? He he goes on. The wise person asks himself, when it's my turn, what will my life have been worth? What will they be saying about me? He loved his bowling and his partying and his holidays. Is that it? What about, what about he loved his Lord and proclaimed his praise to the very end? What is the prospect of death teaching you? What is it teaching you about the purpose of your life? David wanted to spend his days proclaiming God's praise. What about you? Now, maybe you're stuck on the idea of death itself. Maybe you're having uh, trouble envisioning spending your life proclaiming God's praise because death itself looms large. Why does death even exist? Now, that's a real question. The Bible teaches us that death has entered into our world because the first man sinned. When God made the first man and the first woman, He placed them in the, in the beautiful garden, teeming with life. And God told Adam that he, could not, that he could eat of any tree in the garden except one. In fact, God commanded him not to eat of that tree. For if he ate of that one tree, he would die. And sadly, Adam disobeyed. And just as God said, because God is true, death entered into our world. And the sad truth is, is that we have all followed in Adam's footsteps and we've sinned. We, we can't say with any credibility that if we were standing at that tree, we would have made a different decision. Like Adam, we have all lived our own way. We've made our own choices rather than living God's way. That's what sin is. And death is the wages, the proper payment due to sin. We've all worked in sin. And we deserve to be paid. The reason that death is not an overwhelming prospect for David here in Psalm 71 or for Christians is because Jesus has fulfilled Psalm 71 verse 20. Jesus has fulfilled Psalm 71 verse 20. You see it there? You who have made me see many troubles and calamities will revive me again. From the depths of the earth, you will bring me up again. As we learn from this psalm, David encountered earthly enemies who wanted to take his life. But in God's kindness, he overcame them. But Jesus, Jesus is a different story altogether. David's life was was typical of Jesus' life. It it prefigured Jesus' life. David lived a, a pattern that Jesus would live in a fuller and more glorious way. So like David, Jesus' enemies, they conspired against him. But unlike David, Jesus' enemies constrained him and put him to death on the cross. Jesus was perfectly sinless throughout the whole of his life. But that wasn't true of David. Jesus lived in perfect obedience to God. And yet, he was made to see many troubles and calamities. Jesus was sinned against. He was slandered. And ultimately, he was slain. He was slain not because he sinned, but because we sinned. Listen to what an eyewitness to Jesus' death said. The Apostle Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 24, He himself, Jesus, bore our sins in his body on the tree. That's what Jesus was doing on the cross. He was bearing the wages of our sin. 
He died and he was buried. David was revived again. He was metaphorically raised up in victory over his enemies. But Jesus, well, three days after his death, he was literally revived again. He was raised from the grave in glory. From the depths of the earth, God the Father brought him up again. And this is the most wondrous deed the world has ever known. The greatest righteous deed that God has ever done. And Jesus' death and resurrection prove that He is our refuge. That He is worthy of our trust. That we should repent, turn from our sin, and turn from our slander against God. We should believe that Jesus is our hope. That He conquered the monster that is death. Jesus even told His disciples that all who believe in Him, though they may die, yet shall they live. Do you believe this? Turn from your sin and place your faith in Jesus. And though you may die, yet you shall live eternally. There is life beyond the grave. In fact, when Jesus comes again, He will fulfill Psalm 71.20 in our lives too. We too will get up from our graves and God's people will live forever in glory with Him and rejoice in His righteousness. It is why we should proclaim Him now. It is why a significant portion, not a small portion, but a significant portion of our lives should be taken up with taking God to others. Whether you are young or old, part of the reason that the Lord has given you life is so that you might tell of His righteousness and love. Maybe you haven't asked the Lord to extend your life like David did, but He has extended it. And if He has called you to salvation in Jesus, part of His purpose is for you to proclaim His grace to another generation. And as we conclude, I'd like for us to think about how we might be able to do this in our lives. How can you proclaim God's grace to someone else? Whether you are young or old, You can help others hear about our God simply by inviting them to hear God's word proclaimed. We can do that through an invitation to the Christmas tea, the Christmas Eve service, or simply a Sunday morning gathering. We should all do that. But we should all get a little more personal too. Have you ever thought about simply offering to read the Bible with an unbelieving neighbor or coworker or family member? I know we're not at the very, very end of the year here. But why not think about making a New Year's resolution, if you do that kind of thing, or an end of the year's resolution, to keep asking, to keep asking unbelievers around you to read through a gospel with you until one of them says yes. Fathers, why don't you purpose to read the sermon text or some other Bible text with your wife and kids each week? Maybe evangelism isn't actually as difficult as we've made it out to be. What if you just read the Bible out loud to someone and let God, let God tell of his wondrous deeds in Jesus Christ through your voice? Does God really work through his word? Well, what did Paul say in Romans 10, 17? He said, so faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. God really does work through his word. Now, we all know the the fears that immediately jump into our hearts and minds when thinking about taking God to others. But what has David taught us in Psalm 71? 
He has taught us to take our fears to God and to make God our refuge. We should apply the whole of the psalm and we should especially apply its heart, which is that we must take God to others. We must take God to others. And we must remember that it is now that it is not we, but He who has the power to save and sanctify. And therefore, there is great freedom as we take God to others. The outcome is not in our hands, but His. We can risk it all. We can risk the relationships. We can risk our reputation. We can risk all those things. Let's show the world. Let's be living lessons that reveal we've made Him our refuge. Let's take our fears to Him. And in the end, let's recognize that He has given us life to glorify Him in part by making His grace known to another generation. That's why David was not ready to die. What about you? Is there more work for you to do for the Lord? I suspect there may be. David wasn't absorbed with himself, but with his God. When, when we finish that sentence, I'm not ready to die because, when we finish that sentence, does the end of it, whatever it may be, does the, does the end of that sentence have more to do with us and our interests or with God and His? God is interested in making His righteous deeds known to a world in need of forgiveness. God is interested in hearing His children sing of His salvation. God is interested in you rejoicing in His redemption and inviting others to do the same. Until the Lord calls you home, take refuge in God. Take your fears to God and take God to others. Let's pray together.